0: All right, friends and family. In this week's episode of the Midwifery Wisdom Podcast, we will be highlighting COVID and midwives and birth workers when you get COVID. Because it's Layla here and it's January 10th and I have COVID. It's my first day of my third term of my first year of midwifery school and I woke up with 102 fever, aches and chills like no other and boy these symptoms are so crazy. One minute I'm barely able to stand up and tachycardic and then the next minute I'm kind of high with dry mouth and losing hair. I wouldn't wish this on anyone. And so I looked back at our introduction with our co-hosts, and we had a really beautiful, deep discussion about the reality of serving people with COVID, being a birth worker with COVID, and the world that we live in and how we're going to adapt and address living with COVID. All your love and thoughts this week as I heal up. And I hope you enjoy
1: Hey, my name is Augustine Colebrook. I'm the principal at the Dwifery Wisdom Collective. My focus is on big picture political movements that are happening within the profession, some of the controversial questions, and centering voices that are not being regularly heard.
2: I'm Layla Wyatt. I am a traveling student midwife learning midwifery from cultures and a lineage of midwifery throughout the United States. I'm here to center the voices of students to hear their calling, their pathway, why they chose midwifery, and even share a bunch of birth stories along the way.
3: Greetings, I'm Jamara Amani. I am a midwife, a mom, and a social justice activist. I am here to challenge white supremacy, homophobia, transphobia, and anything that keeps people from being their best and living their best selves, as we have the human right to do. And I am looking forward to sharing stories of birth justice on this podcast. Hi there. I'm Delmar Balvin.
1: I am a non-binary, queer, transgender with a and of sex, midwife, and full is on increasing access and equity in midwifery
4: care and midwifery education. Hello, my name is Angie Love. I am a community nurse midwife in Vero Beach, Florida at the practice of Midwife Love. I also do telehealth midwifery through Midwife RX. I'm a mama and I am committed to maintaining birth choices for all people and educating a future generation of midwives because we will not die out
3: this COVID shit is heavy.
4: That's all. That's yes. All. That's all. <laughs> nice. I've had
3: four known exposures to COVID in the past two weeks. And I've had the entire pandemic. I had four in two weeks and had to quarantine and test each time. Um, one was a staff member, two were clients. Um, and both of those clients were at 40 weeks. And so then had to have hospital births and one, two weeks later, still hasn't seen her baby. So it's really fucking heavy. I, my, I feel are hurting and are just feeling really blindsided because I think everybody thought we were rounding some kind of a curve and we're not. <laughs> we're going in that yeah. we're going backwards. So um My day my days really have consisted of writing, rewriting, revising COVID policies, trying to order enough supplies for everybody that I love and everybody that I touch, um, checking on people, sending meals, um, trying to coordinate support that's safe even if it's like we'll just leave a meal outside your door.. Um, trying to figure out how folks can still be with their babies and breastfeed. Um, getting tested <laughs> <repeatedly> <laughs> probably six times at this point in the last couple of weeks. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a lot. And one of the questions that I have, and this is, I know, like a really controversial question, um, but I don't hear a lot of midwives talking about the vaccine for people that are pregnant or trying to become pregnant or body feeding. Um, and I think, you know, I don't have the answer, but I, that's just a question for me. Just, you know, I've, I've seen like the ACOG statement and the CDC's updated statement, and I just haven't really heard much from midwives on this topic one way or the other. Um, it is so- such
1: a controversial question and it's such a individual choice, right? I mean, I think it's, all of us. And anyway, the data and the statistics are changing so rapidly. It's hard to even know how to make a statement.
4: I made a video. I made a Facebook video. I don't I saw know if that. any of you guys mm-hmm. saw it.
1: Yeah. I, I was did it life when you did
4: it. <laughs> yeah. I got, um, it coming out very strongly that pregnant women should be getting this vaccine, especially anyone past the first trimester recommended they get the Moderna because it's, uh, Latest research is showing it's a little more effective against the Delta. Yeah, so I did, which I'm sure, you know, half of my clients maybe don't appreciate, but oh well. So, yeah, (laughs) Um, it is a divided population I serve, and it's interesting navigating all of the differences. I have masking required inside my office, but then I have clients who hate masking. So, I have an outdoor lounge chair. Today I was out, I think it was 11 a.m. here in the nice Florida heat doing a prenatal outside on the lounge chair. Mm. Yeah.
3: Wow.
2: And there's some interesting things happening. Mm -hmm. I know that midwives here in Florida are receiving emails from Sunshine Health requesting slash requiring them to report who is not vaccinated as part of their client list. Which is, I think, is an interesting boundary step <laughs> inquiry um, as to why the insurance companies would like to know this information about your clients. And so if you know, if your your client has decided not to get vaccinated, and so you send a report to Sunshine Health stating so does that then increase chances that we could have some type of, I mean, we're in the moment right now where medical kidnapping is occurring because of a refusal of a B12 shot that may or may not have ever even been offered. Can not receiving a vaccine during pregnancy include child endangerment and therefore medical kidnapping of your newborn postpartum?
1: we are on a slippery slope, y'all. <laughs> I so, I mean, ultimately, I think, I think it's so good you brought this up, Leila, because it actually it has not about vaccines at all. It's actually about medical sovereignty and authority of decision making. And it comes back to that same debate that we keep crossing over, which is like individual autonomy or public health. And parents make this, they have this challenge when they're talking about all kinds of choices, but I think this has made that debate so prevalent, so at the forefront. Like, do I get to choose or does society get to choose?
2: And I'm glad that Angie has that video because it's so hard to find information, Angie, for people that can like really trust, you know, they really want to hear from a midwife, like, no, really, what do you think? And Every midwife's, well, it's a personal choice. Like it's not circumcision, y'all. Like, let's talk about this. Like really, what are the risks and benefits here of this vaccine? And I don't think a lot of people are giving good answers to pregnant people. So your videos- Does EBB
1: EBB have some content out about it? I think they do. Yep.
2: Yep.
1: Elmar, have you read it? I have, and it's excellent. They have like a whole class on it.
3: That's what I thought. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do, do they have midwives involved in that conversation on evidence-based birth? I don't remember. I just, I haven't, I mean, I maybe I'm out the loop because I hadn't seen Angie's video, which I'm gonna go watch after we get off. Um, but I hadn't seen any midwifery organizations make a a statement which is really what I was speaking to because I think that you're right, people wanna hear from midwives.
4: ACNM did come out and recommend the vaccine
3: as well. Okay, good. Yeah.
4: And it's an unprecedented time that most of us have not lived through a pandemic as severe as this. And so all of the minor decisions of whether I'm gonna vaccinate my child against measles, it's not that common you know, and that we've had, we have, you know, pretty good treatments against is different than in this time of pandemic, where we have this new disease, we don't have the best remedies, you know, and it's, it's very, I think it's, some people are using the same logic as they did to whether they're going to get the polio vaccine, you know, Um, but it is a different situation. It's a different risk profile. You know, and I don't think anyone should be forced to get a vaccine, of course not. And I'm going to take care of all of my clients no matter what they choose. You know, if they don't want to wear a mask, I'm meeting them where they are. I'm meeting them outside because I respect their rights. But if you're asking my advice, I'll tell it to you.
2: Yeah, Jamara, you're, you're, you mentioned you had a 40-week client with COVID who delivered in the hospital. Is that a Florida policy, a practice policy, a personal policy, a patient Request like what did that look like and why? You're saying
3: why why
2: would someone risk out
3: if they were COVID positive
2: from home birth? What like what are where did the standards of doing that come? Was it your policy or the states or theirs, etc. or CDC's, etc. Like where did that come from? I haven't seen
3: anything um, from the state. Uh, my guidance comes from MFM. Um, mm. It comes from the my peer uh, midwives that I'm. Um, you know, in constant, probably daily consult with. Like it's a Um,
2: community standard at this point for you guys. Um,
3: I think it's also the most responsible thing to do in terms of caring for the other families that we serve. Um, Because once you attend someone's birth, who is COVID positive, then you have to quarantine. So then as they're As a midwife, I can't go to someone's birth two days later if I've been at a COVID positive client's birth. And so Mm -hmm. it takes my entire staff, my student midwife, my assistant, um, out the game until we are cleared. And so um, I think that healthcare workers in particular have to be really mindful that we can't be going from COVID positive family home environments, then into a clinic setting, then into the setting of a family who doesn't have COVID and just spreading those.
4: But that's exactly what they do in the hospital. And you are holding yourself to a higher standard than the hospital is who would take care of a COVID birth using appropriate precautions and then go also take care of other people. So I'm not saying you're not being responsible and I respect your choices, I have attended a COVID positive birth this past spring. So I have had a different experience
3: in that. So, and then what were your, how did you, what did you do after? Did you notify your other clients that you've been exposed to COVID and quarantine and test and all that?
4: No, I had been fully vaccinated at that time as had my student, as had the, um, doula who was attending her, and we wore N95 masks and used all the appropriate precautions. I took in three air filters from my office and put them all around. The, both the mother and the father were still in their contagious period. He wore an N95. We all wore N95s. Um, I don't think I had anyone do, uh, you know, for the next week. Um, so I didn't. I didn't feel the need to quarantine since I had used all
2: of those appropriate precautions. Yeah. And that brings, that's, that's a really good, you know, I think that the question I was having on kind of on both sides is the difference we this is not going to go away <laughs> for the next couple of years. Like this is the same problem that we're going to have tomorrow and then three months from now, and maybe even nine months from now when it comes to exposures and a known exposure versus being exposed at the gas station is different because you're like, I know this. I, I, I know that I was exposed. I have, I have to do what feels right to me, which maybe for Jamara is to tell my patients, cancel my prenatals and postpartums, mm-hmm. remove move them to, um, virtual and hire a backup. If until I test negative and don't have symptoms seven to 14 days later, or it is to transfer them because that's the way you can sustain your midwifery practice. Um, I'm asking that question mainly because kind of to hear both all of your perspectives, because my husband is an ER nurse and is exposed to COVID every day. He's like, lately we had 30 patients with COVID yesterday. Like, what do you mean I've had exposure? Like, yeah, I'm coming home after having exposure. So, you know, when I was called to a COVID positive partner, the partner of the birthing person was COVID positive recently. Um, she says, you know, I've called five birth assistants and no one will come. And if I can't have a birth assistant, I will have to transfer them because I, I won't birth, I won't attend this birth alone. And I was like, well, if I wear a 95s gloves and a face shield, the whole birth, how is this any different than my husband working with COVID patients every day? Um, so I did, you know, I attended the birth with full PPE and then I did move all of my prenatals and postpartums to either virtual or postpone them and then tested seven days later. Um, that's going to be my new norm, but everyone is going to have a different norm. And so I was just interested, Jamara, if that was like your personal preference or if that was a law that, you know, or a policy practice. And then Delmar and Augustine, like, how are you guys planning on adapting and developing because I don't think this is going away. I think this question of like, how do we attend COVID patients is going to stay.
1: I want to point out that to be able to say yes to going to a COVID positive birth is a position of privilege. Yes. Some of us are at much greater risk of dying or having long-term consequences from COVID than others of us. Um, So is going to that one birth worth your life? some of us don't have to really
4: consider that question. Very true, Delmar, I really appreciate that. And I had just to point out, I had already had COVID um, over Christmas when I went to this birth in the spring, so.
1: Yeah, I would say just along those same lines, Delmar, um, also I think that the region that you're in, the community that you're in, the backup availability, the choice possibilities, also impacts the decisions that are made. And I think that midwives across the US and across the world have to make the best choices for themselves, for their clients and based on their community Mm -hmm. standard of care. So it sounds like for Jamara, at least that's the community standard of care that would make sense. And there is somewhere for that person to go. Mm -hmm. I attended um, uh, uh, births at the birth center that I'm the clinical director at in um, India during the second wave of COVID in India. And um, our backup hospitals would not take them. Um, so one of them stopped taking COVID clients altogether, and they're all for-profit hospitals, so they can make their own choices. Um, one of them would take COVID patients, but our my backup. We had this conversation, and she was like, "Look, unless they are incredibly symptomatic with a pulse ox under ninety-five, I don't want to see them. I won't admit them." Um, and so we had nowhere to send them and you can't abandon clients at full term. And so I've attended a lot of COVID positive births, um, some even symptomatic because there was nowhere to send them. But in that region of the world, in that particular environment, that was the safest, most appropriate thing to do given all the circumstances. Um, And I don't think every midwife should make that choice. I just, I think that, that we're all going to be needing to Um, We're all sort of skating around, figuring it out case by case even. um, And I think that that is appropriate. I don't think we can have hard and fast policies for for many situations like this. We are all making it up and figuring out as we go along.
3: And I think that there are those of us that also may not attend or may choose not to attend, um, you know, a client that has HIV or hepatitis B or something else highly contagious, um, because the risk to ourselves, our families is too great. Um, I have unvaccinated children at home that are too young to get the vaccine, Um, a son with asthma. Um, You know, I also have a 90% Black um, practice population. So my concern about exposing other people Mm -hmm. goes a lot deeper in the sense that I know that my clients are at, at greater risk. Um, Everything. So it's, it's not just like, yeah. oh, well, if they get COVID from me, you know, it's, I mean, I had a client that, 27 uh, years old and healthy, went into um, COVID induced preeclampsia overnight from mm-hmm. fever to help syndrome, literally the next day. Um, mm-hmm. There's not a probably, <laughs> that's probably a higher occurrence in the demographic that I serve than in white populations. Um, So I think there are different considerations depending on who you are and who you're serving.
4: Definitely,
3: definitely.
4: And that's one of the things I love about midwifery care is how unique it is and how we are taking so many different individual variables into account.
1: Yep, I'm definitely quoted as saying community-based midwifery is the hardest job on the planet. And I see all of you working harder than uh, is even, it's just amazing. All of this is amazing.